It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome to the Daily DLP. I'm your host, Ash Thompson. Today, we're going to look at one of my favorite things in the world, football statistics. So grab your abacus and get caught up with the rest of us. Lions fans, it's time for the podcast you've been waiting for. The show where Kool-Aid runs blue, faces turn red, and rose-colored glasses never go out of style. This is the Detroit Lions podcast. So the Lions victory over the Chiefs was a complete victory statistic. The Lions gained 52 more yards than they allowed overall. Uh, They dominated yardage stats in the air with 24 more yards on four fewer attempts. And they did also gain 28 more yards on the ground. Uh, But they did run the ball nine more times than the Chiefs. So take that one with a little bit of a grain of salt, but I'm going to go over why that's still a good thing in a minute here. The Lions even dominated the Chiefs in penalty yards with 38 more penalty yards on two more flags thrown. Hooray! The Lions had two more first downs than the Chiefs overall. They had two more rushing first downs on the day. They also had one more passing first down than the Chiefs. So what gives, Ash? This is simple math. You should be able to at least do this. Two plus one is three. Well, let's bring in the Zebras, because the Lions even dominated the Chiefs in penalty yards with 38 more on two extra flags. Despite, well, we all saw it. We saw one player committing two penalties every single passing down and not getting flagged until the fourth quarter, which thankfully they did. My theory is that the Lions didn't complain about it until it mattered at the end. And then they brought it up. The penalties got called. Gamesmanship. I genuinely do believe that. Detroit versus everybody, though, I suppose. On third down, the Lions and Chiefs converted the same number of third downs, uh, with five on the day each. Uh, The Chiefs had one fewer attempt, so they did have a little bit higher conversion rate. But the Lions also converted a fourth down attempt, and the Chiefs did not. The Lions' leading rusher was David Montgomery, who had 74 yards on 21 carries. That's a per-attempt average of 3.5, which doesn't sound very good on the surface. But, it's week one. I'm going to bring you the first of what I call a context stat. It's a little bit more involved than just a guy did a thing this number of times and didn't got this many widgets from it, though not much more complicated. We're not going super deep here. We're just going to go a little bit deeper than sometimes some folks go with their statistical analysis. I'm going to give you something a little more than conjecture and opinion. 
because my opinion is usually based on things like this. <laughs> uh, wherever I can, I like to give you numbers that kind of back up my taste. So I kind of want you to understand this one because it is one I do use fairly regularly, particularly for running backs. I'm going to tell you why, despite the fact that Dave Montgomery only had three and a half yards per carry, he actually had a really good day doing his job. Pro Football Reference, a site I love very much because most of their stats are still free, posts something called a success percentage. Now, what this stat does is determine whether a play was successful by a very simple calculation. So it's not super deep. It doesn't have a lot of nuance. It just tells you, did they do the thing well enough to reach these marks? And here's what the marks are. On a first down, did the play gain 40% of the yardage needed for a first down? So on first down and 10, that would be, did the play get four yards or more? On second down, did the ball carrier gain 60% of the yardage required for a first down? So if a running back gets the ball on second and 10 as opposed to first and 10, he would then have to get six yards for that attempt to be successful as opposed to on first down when four would have been successful because of the number of yards that are left. This is all progress towards getting a first down. So second and 15 would take a nine yard carry. But on second and five, you only need three yards to be considered a successful play. The cloud of dust is entirely optional. Now, the reason I consider this stat to be fairly valuable is because it reflects the lighter boxes that a back runs into on second and long compared to second and short, for example. Oh, and on third and fourth down, the ball carrier has to get a first down for it to be successful. Nobody cares about the theoretic special, the 12-yard carry on third and 18. So now you know how this metric works. You can accept it or you cannot. And if you don't, well, you can probably just skip the rest of this. And uh, maybe in the comments below, uh, tell me a better way to figure out contextually whether a running back did a good job or not. I'll take a well-explained and reasonable statistical metric over some guy somewhere using criteria that they won't release to give me a goodness number out of 100 all day every day. But both of those have their place. I'm not dumping on PFF. I don't hate PFF. I use PFF numbers all the time when I'm looking at things. A player with a high PFF grade on a season is probably a good player, and a player with a bad PFF score on a season is probably a bad player. You just have no idea why or how, and they have no interest in telling you outside of their advanced stats that are based on that same evaluation process that they won't disclose and players complain about constantly. But back to Montgomery, who got a PFF grade of 67.9, which is a good starter grade for those unfamiliar with the current scale, which did change a few years ago. Montgomery's success rate on the day was 57.1% of his carries went for those listed metrics I did earlier, despite the fact that he got three and a half yards per carry. So the per carry wasn't good. It was way below Jameer Gibbs, but Jameer Gibbs' success rate was only 42.9 because he got a much lighter workload. He was going against lighter boxes on more favorable down and distance. So when you ask why Gibbs wasn't playing more, that is part of your answer. 
Montgomery was more consistently doing things that need to be done. So what is a good number for that stat? Because that's all it does, is it just tells you whether they reached that milestone and what percentage of the time they did. But outside of context, I'm just throwing a number at you and saying one guy was higher than another guy. So let's take a look at Jamal Williams last year, who had basically the same role Montgomery does, and ran for 1,066 yards with 17 touchdowns in 2022. So we can all probably agree that Jamal Williams had a successful 2022 season. Uh, If we can't agree on that, I don't know what you're even doing here. His success rate last year was 53.1, and it was the highest of any of the Detroit Lions running backs. So on this one day, Montgomery had a higher success rate than his predecessor's previous season that we were all happy with. He just had a really rough workload. And that's what this stat tells you when combined with the three and a half yards per carry, because he did a good job or achieved a good result given the down and distances he was being handed the ball. Because on third and short, you're not dealing with the same situation you're dealing with on first and 10. Or third and 15. You following me so far? So what's a good number on the season? Is, Is another reasonable question that I can kind of feel somebody asking themselves as I talk about this? Well, Josh Jacobs last year, NFL's rushing leader, had a 57.1. So he was higher. Actually, no, it was exactly the same. Josh Jacobs last year on the season had the same (laughs) success rate as Montgomery had on Thursday night last week. Uh, Derrick Henry had a success rate of 46.7, which kind of makes sense. The Tennessee offense wasn't very good. They didn't have a lot of other weapons. Montgomery may not have really had an easier time of things, but like the defense is focused on Henry, so he's going to have more trouble getting this stat dealt with. Uh, Nick Chubb was 50%. Saquon Barkley was 47.5 success rate. Uh, Miles Sanders was 56.8 Philadelphia. And I'm going to stop right there. And the reason I'm going to stop right there is because that is the entire list of players last year who had a higher rushing total for the season than the 1,258-yard pace that David Montgomery set in week one. That's where he'll end up. 1,258 yards. 17 touchdowns. (laughs) Highly unlikely that either of those end up being correct. But that's what he did week one, was basically set that. He had a three and a half yards per carry, which is bluntly unacceptable long-term, but for this one game, that three and a half was actually a reasonable number, a good number for the workload he was given. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And in keeping with that theme, let's look at Jared Goff's success rate. I don't like this as much for passing as I do for rushing. 
but it's still a stat that they have and it still compares players on whether or not they achieved this because it seems like getting that four yards on first down with a passing play would probably be a lot easier than rushing. But that doesn't take into a fact that an incomplete pass is zero. So again, you're just comparing two players or multiple players as to whether they achieved that same thing. Jared Goff was at 50%, which was right on his 2022 season success rate of 50.1. His career rate is 47.9, reflecting that last year was a good year for Jared Goff. And yes, in this one way, did they move the ball the amount that needed to be moved on a given down and distance? This was a pretty good game. For context on that, Patrick Mahomes... Career rate is 53.3. So, the best quarterback in the NFL does this at a rate of 3% higher than Jared Goff did yesterday or last season on any average night. Uh, (laughs) So, I'm not saying that this makes Goff elite. Don't take that. But let's let's take a look at some other guys that we do generally consider elite. Although, as I'm recording this, Joe Burrow just had the worst game of his career. I'm still going to use his number because he's had a good career. Uh, 48.5 is his career success rate on this stat, uh, which Goss is 47.9. That's ridiculously close. Uh, Josh Allen's career success rate, 48.6. All in that same range. Now, Allen and Goff both have disastrously awful rookie seasons that drag their numbers down. Allen more so than Goff, just because he had more attempts. Uh, But Joe Burrow's game, he tends to hit a lot of deep shots and a lot of checkdowns. That, that's the game. Do I have the big play? No. Okay, I'm going to complete something short. That is, if I were to be very reductive on what he does, that's it. Uh, but what's a bad number? Well, Justin Fields, uh, prior to today's game, which I doubt improved this number, uh, his career rate was 34.7. That's what terrible looks like. It's about equal to those awful rookie years that uh, Goff and Allen had, except it's his whole two-year career thus far. And again, to be clear, I'm not saying Goff's on the elite level of these other guys as a quarterback, just that his 2022 season was on the level of those guys' average to slightly above average seasons. He had a very good year last year in this particular regard. What did the ball get moved as much as it needed to get moved on a given down a distance? And as far as last night goes, everybody complaining that the Lions kept throwing short of the sticks. That's what NFL teams do. You look for the play that's past the sticks. If it's not there, you check it down and hope your guy makes a play. You just put him in a position to do the work. So if I'm not saying Goff's elite, what am I saying? Just that the offense was fine. They only scored 14 points, which isn't a great number, but they also had a fumble in the red zone, which is going to take it up to either 17 or 21. They performed on a very high level, given the specific downs and distances that they were presented with. Casey has a defense full of professional football players, and it turns out that at least on Thursday, they were also actually pretty good. They put the Lions in a lot of not particularly great positions. Steve Spagnuolo coached up a heck of a job. They're pretty good defense, or at least they were. Thursday night, week one. But, lest we forget the defense, who did the yeoman's work on this particular victory. 
Uh, we did get the one interception on a tip. Thank you, Brian Branch, for your six points in your service. But a far more reliable and telling stat is actually passes defended. Uh, the reason being, turnovers are usually gifts. It's a bad play by the other team most of the time. Uh, with an interception, the quarterback has to put it in a spot where you can grab it. It is a lot easier to get a pass defended on a good play than it is to get an interception. The league's passes defended leaders, there is a lot less of a cycle uh, between them than there is of the league's yearly interception leaders. C.J. Gardner Johnson, for example, could have had three picks on Thursday and we'd be having a completely different conversation regarding how well he played uh, because there were a few miscues, which makes sense given that they hired him to do the job of nickel and are playing him as a deep safety Uh, (laughs) because Brian Branch came on and played so well immediately. But one minor change to each of the plays that he made, like one of them, he was just a step late getting to his spot. So he just couldn't get both hands on the ball. One, he never looked for the ball that was a, a duck and, and could have easily been intercepted had he looked for it. Uh, and another one hit him in the hands. And yeah, well, okay, he did a, he made a great play to get his hands on the ball. I need to sound reductive because he did a great job on that play. It just would have been great if he caught it and you could, he knew. You could tell he knew. He dropped his head and but had the goldfish memory, moved on to the next play, continued playing. The Lions had five passes defended. And driving that stat up is a reason that the Lions signed and chose the guys that they did. That's why they brought in C.J. Gardner-Johnson. That's why they grabbed Cam Sutton. That's why they drafted Brian Branch. Because these are people who, on the targets that they get, affect the ball directly as opposed to just providing good coverage. It's the exact opposite of Will Harris, who is always in the right spot. That's the thing you can count on with Will Harris. He will be one step behind that receiver right in his pocket where he's supposed to be. He just does nothing at the catch point and makes the tackle after. The Lions needed to step up from that to something better, and that was what all of their moves in the secondary were meant to do. Now, they had five passes defended in week one, and that doesn't really sound like a lot. But the Lions exceeded that number only two times all of last season, and they averaged 3.6 passes defended per game in 2022. So, at like just under one and a half in a game, it might not sound like a lot, but over a season, that's 23 times the defender touches the ball if the team can keep that pace up. And as I said, the Lions brought in players specifically to do that. And I think I'm going to stop this there uh, because I know uh, people tend to have their eyes glaze over a little bit when too many numbers are thrown out. Uh, And I don't mean that as an insult. Please don't take it that way Uh, because I would not subscribe to a podcast called Guy Reading Numbers either. Now, you have to drink now. Sorry, Chris. Don't. Delightful.
Have a great day. Let's bring it in here together. Let's go. Come on, baby. Lions on three. One, two, three. Lions. You've had enough of that shit.